Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today, we're with Michael, our resident ephesiologist, Andrew Johnson, associate pastor at New Town Church in Houston, Texas. I'm Matt Till, and we are with a special guest today, Kathy Richards-Batia. Kathy, we're so glad to have you on the Ephesiology Podcast. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yes, and thank you for joining us. Uh, we have you on today to, to talk about uh, an exciting new project that you actually have been uh, co-working on with our very own Michael and... Um, uh, but before we get to that, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Kathy. What would you like our audience to know about you? Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's a privilege, and uh, I'm excited. It's my first podcast, so very, uh, very good for me. Wow. <laughs> all right. Are you serious? This is wonderful. Welcome to the world. It's a dark thanks. hole. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> Thank you. I do appreciate it. Um, 106 um, episodes in, and we know it very well. All right. Fun. That's really fun. So, uh, yeah, so many things that I would would like to leave out, but a brief overview. I'm a Mishkid, born in the Middle East, born in Baghdad, actually, um, to Presbyterian missionaries. and uh, kicked out of Baghdad along with everyone else and went to Beirut um, in, uh, and then stayed there. I did all of my schooling in Beirut. So then uh, 1982 with the Israeli invasion, uh, escaped from Beirut uh, and uh, came to the States for college. So I have lived in a number of places um, and uh, the kind of the overarching theme of my of my spiritual life has been the um, presence of God from a small child to today just the leading of Jesus in ways that were unexpected that were always challenging and that have led me to this moment for my first podcast so here I am <laughs> <laughs> the the that, places that is, where uh, life leads us so yes. I just thought the presence of God was going to lead you to a more significant place than our <laughs> podcast. I don't think that was the mountaintop no, uh, that we've all been working for. Uh, no. Hopefully, it's a wonderful experience, but uh, yes. that uh, let it just be commented that you have had more, uh, I would say, crazy or unexpected or abnormal life experiences uh, before 1982. That's and I am just, I am, I am wowed at the the path that God has brought you to, and yeah. on. Yes. So, um, went to seminary very late um, in life. I mean, comparatively, uh, but it was good for me at the time. It was, it was a very significant moment, um, and uh, subsequently um, have. Um, uh, worked as a chaplain in a level one trauma center for five years. And uh, now I'm working for She is Safe, which is a uh, an NGO that works with abused and exploited women and girls in the least reached places. So I'm the regional director for the Middle East and North Africa. And I have the privilege of working with some of the, um, the world's most amazing 
uh, believe mm. in Christ in some of the most difficult places to be a woman or a girl. So mm. that's where I am today. So, Wow. Well, I knew you were amazing, Kathy, but uh, like Andrew, you're even more amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy and I met uh, two, has it been three years yet yeah. ago at uh, St. Beshoy Monastery in Egypt, a Coptic monastery. And uh, she walked up to me and introduced herself. And I thought, oh, holy cow, you're Amit's wife. And uh, Amit, Amit was a uh, grad student when I was teaching at Trinity and one of my grad assistants. And uh, and uh, my my memories of him are fond in the classroom, but not so fond on the tennis court. Uh, <laughs> I still bear that pain of being beaten by him on uh, the tennis courts. And I think we used to play some on some uh, synthetic clay courts mm -hmm. in, uh, I don't know if it, Bannockburn or somewhere, but anyway. Uh, so it was so much fun to get to meet you there and, and get to know you over the past couple of years that we've been working on this project together. Yeah, Amit is a great competitor and a very good tennis player. And um, yes, he is. And a wonderful, uh, inspiring man to be married to. He has always got his uh, doing just uh, wonderful, fun things for the Lord that uh, that challenge me. So, yeah, we, we have mm. fun together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so speaking of even just, uh, uh, just your, your volleying back and forth here, but also just the, this idea of just <laughs> your experience. Um, and then of course this project, uh, it sounds like, uh, your experiences lend itself to provide a unique perspective on this particular project. So we'll, we'll just dive right into it. Um, there's a, a book coming out that's, uh, through Ephesiology. Um, it is out. It, it is, is out. out. Forgive it's me. Out. It's out. It's ready. It's available on Amazon. Social Injustice, Volume Two. Now, first of all, um, in social injustice, that already is a provocative uh, title. Where, where, where did that? Tell us a little bit about the book, Kathy, and just your um, also just your experience with this and working on this project with Michael. How did you come to come to this project? And uh, tell us just a little bit about it. Yeah. So, um, well, it's volume two. So I think it got its name from volume one, really. Um, <laughs> and, and volume one, uh, the subtitle for volume one was what evangelicals need to know. Um, so social injustice, what evangelicals need to know. Um, about the world. About the world. Yes. And uh, that was written 10 years ago. And uh, one of the things that we think uh very clearly uh, have, have observed very clearly is that there's still a lot that we need to know about social injustice. And so this uh, subtitle for volume two is um, Evangelical Voices in Tumultuous Times. Um, obviously, the issue of social justice, just even the words social justice in the evangelical world are um, sometimes uh, touch points for discussions of all kinds. <laughs> Um, wow, that's so so kind and yeah, so well mannered. It's it earns lots of people extra conversations that they didn't think they were going to have or uh, pulled aside to have really 
heart to heart discussions like, do you still love Jesus? That's right. Exactly. What do you, you know, are you giving, are you sharing the gospel? You know, (laughs) are you actually, you know, involved in, uh, in Christian work? Yes. So I think we, we have a lot to learn still uh, always, but at this moment in history, um, wow, the, uh, the rhetoric and the, just the, the anger and the fear on all sides for so mm. many, in so many areas of injustice. Um, I think it's, you know, it's, this conversation needs to continue. So I don't know if there's going to be a volume three, but, uh, <laughs> or if we'll just all go on to other things. Volume but, four <laughs> and a five. In, in 10 years, That's we're right. to keep learning. We're going to keep right. learning. Wait, wait. So the intent wasn't that volume two would be written and then everybody would learn all the lessons from it and then you don't have to write a a volume three? You didn't approach it it like that? (laughs) Right. We wrote the book. It's done. Michael, it's on you. You're the one that gets all of us into this stuff. So, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah, You know, volume one, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, this is the 10 year anniversary of the the social injustice volume one, uh, which I did with Bill Mulder at, at Trinity. And we had a number of leading evangelicals at the time contribute to that volume. And, uh, and we did it specifically to address what even was then 10 years ago, a contentious subject among evangelicals. And that was social justice. And how do we, how should we be involved in it? Or should we by, uh, as some would ask, should we be involved in it? And, uh, and things, you know, really haven't improved over that decade. And, uh, and so it was exciting to, to try to speak into this area again, 10 years later and, uh, and do it in a way that we did not accomplish in the first volume. And that is, you know, the voices in the first volume were pretty much well, they were all North American, uh, pretty much, except for uh, Boaz Johnson, who, of course, is uh, from India, but uh, teaches at, at North Park. Um, but it was pretty much a, a kind of North American perspective. And, and so this volume is a little bit different than that. Um, can Kathy? I jump in? I have a question, and I would love to hear, Michael, your thought, Matt, and definitely Kathy. Uh, Michael, you just said that when you wrote the first volume... Uh, it seemed like it didn't really have an effect or rather there wasn't much change. Not that your book was supposed, again, I was being totally jokey. Um, I don't expect that your book is the one thing that is either it's your fault that the world hasn't changed to the degree you wanted or anything like that. But you said there wasn't much of a change or there wasn't much an effect or a difference in the way that the evangelicals of the world um, dealt with social justice. So I, I guess my first question is, why do you think that there was, has been no change or no visible change in 10 years? And then what would be the change that you would hope to see now with the release of volume two? So those are, those are my two questions for y'all, since you guys are you know, involved in this and uh, kind of care about yeah. the answer. You know, I think, well... To say that there was no change, it might, I might have overstated that. There's been change incre- incrementally, but I think that change uh, comes in spikes more than it does as a steady, constant uh, change. Because we're, we're creatures of fads and trends, and whenever there's something uh, 
you know, that's in the press or uh, a hot button topic in culture, we tend to gravitate our attention to those topics. And, uh, and then when they're not topics any longer, we, we no longer pay attention to them. And so back in, in uh, what would it have been, 2012, when we were dealing with issues of justice, human trafficking and organ trafficking, those were huge things. Uh, education, of course, still was a big thing, as well as orphan care and uh, th- uh, some other issues. And so we, we addressed those in that volume. But in the time between 2012 and 2022, right? That's what, oh, but wait, it was 2011. This came out in 2021. Right, because um, the book has been released. It has been released. <laughs> uh you know, there have been those, of course, that are continuing to concentrate on justice, and and a number of our contributors in this volume are are a part of that, speaking into issues of justice. Um, but there hasn't been kind of a a big cultural thing that has grabbed everybody's attention, like uh, this this uh, past couple years with all the racial issues, as well as the presidential election and. And, uh, and yeah, so that, that has grabbed people's attention once more. Um, and so we wanted to see if we might be able to speak into to some of those uh, issues in this volume, but not just from a North American per- perspective, but from a global uh, perspective. I don't know, Kathy, what, I mean, you have been far more involved in uh, justice issues just through, you know, your experience in Iraq and Lebanon, and then uh, what you've been doing in the Middle East since. Um, what what do you see? Well, I guess, uh, yeah, the, uh, has there been a change? Um, yes, uh, socially, certainly there's been a change. I'm not sure that the church, the evangelical church as a whole has changed a lot, although there's a lot of conversation around around um, very important issues in a way that there wasn't, I don't think at the time of the publishing of the first book. Um, So, and that has been necessarily um, required because of the events in our country um, Mm -hmm. and even around the world. Um, So um, are things, I think, I mean, tumultuous times is actually such a great descriptor of how, where we're living right now. And I, um, I mean, there's certain things that are unchangeable, human nature and the, and the desire to uh, stay um, with the things that we know and be comfortable and be, you know, do make sure that we're, you know, we, as, as evangelicals, we want to make sure that we're following God and doing God's will and, 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 and pleasing, pleasing God and, and, uh, and sharing Jesus. Right. Um, um, and all of those uh, categories have actually been brought to light in a, in a way that, um, questions what does god really want what does god require of us and and Mm. i think many of us all of us are wrestling with some piece of those questions if we are at all engaged in in life uh in this in this uh time so i don't know that was a long and uh uh, winding answer but (laughs) and excellent 
and yeah, excellent. And, yeah, and uh, Kathy, what I was going to ask is, you know, the 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 criticism sometimes around the, this kind of conversation can be is one that is often directed towards journalists, for example. And journalists are are sometimes accused of of digging up things that really don't have much relevance, or at least that's how the accusation tends to go. That's the narrative is they're making somebody, a politician or a journalist is making something out of nothing, right? Or something that's so small, so insignificant that suddenly it becomes ballooned into this huge thing, right? Into this big issue that now we're suddenly bringing something to light that really wasn't a big light to in the first place. Mm. So sometimes a lot of the accusation that can be made, I think, and really in defense of the journalist, what the journalist is really doing is exposing something that actually is there, is true, is happening, right? And bringing more light to it. Politicians do this as well too, whether for good or for ill, right? But it that's what it does. So so what is it about now the Christian world here in the evangelical world are is this book simply bringing to light things that are I mean certainly not I know you I know Michael well enough to know that he's not bringing something to light that isn't going to be like isn't a real issue so maybe speak to that speak to are these real issues that have been that aren't being talked about and should they be talked about in the church and and what would we hope that would come out of these kind of conversations and why write another book about it so, so yes, um, uh, for example, um, the inclusion of um, a Palestinian Christian writing about um, uh, injustice in mm. Palestine um, is, is a, I mean, that's a pretty bold inclusion in the evangelical world. Um, and it's done very deliberately because um, God sees, God sees the pain of the Palestinian people. And he sees the injustice that has been, that they live in uh, on a regular basis. And the I'm, I'm about to fly out of my seat, Kathy, because yes. that is one of my favorite chapters in this book. Absolutely. Grace just did yes. a fantastic job of talking about her experience being a Palestinian living in, uh, in, in Palestine in Gaza. Yes. And, uh, and what she had to wrestle through being a Christian. I mean, it's just, it's heartbreaking to hear these stories and then to look at our uh, news uh, cycles in the United States, particularly among uh, conservative evangelicals. And I'm not trying to tear people down here, but we so often are, are not even aware of how brothers and sisters are suffering in that strip of land on both the Israeli and the Palestinian sides. And Grace just does a beautiful job talking about that in that chapter. Yes. Sorry, I, I couldn't no, resist. No, that's fine. I totally agree with you. And the thing that I think is so beautiful is that she reflects, she reflects the, the true evangelical commitment to, mm. to the word of God following Jesus in a way that is soft-hearted, even in the middle of, of this tremendous injustice that she lives. And that, and so I think it's a model for us um, at across the world of how do we engage this? We tell truth, right? There is injustice. We mourn with one another. We, um, we listen to one another and then we, um, we, God calls us to action. Compassion is about um, taking action 
not just uh, seeing the 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 uh, the problem. So Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. And what was his what was his action? He called the disciples to go and and share the good news and heal and and proclaim. You know, the kingdom of God has come. So you know, there's action to be taken when we notice, see, are exposed to injustice, um, and and it comes out of a heart that um that that has to hold necessarily has to hold justice and love in the same place justice and and uh and um and freedom justice and the whole character and the whole call of of what it means to be a a believer in christ so anyway sorry but she just does a beautiful job of that and i i think it's a model for us of how do we begin to engage this and i think here in in um, in the U.S., we don't we just don't have the same ability to hold these things together in mm-hmm. in the way that some other places who have suffered for so much longer and in such deep ways have learned. So, Kathy, why do you think that is? Um, I feel like that's been part of my um, my own spiritual walk and journey and, and, uh, finally growing up in this world. Um, (laughs) um, you know, but it's like, how do you, how do you hold these, these things in tension and, um, learning that skill? Um, but why, why is that difficult? I mean, you made a profound statement that I honestly, I don't really disagree with. Um, but why is it hard for us as Westerners and Western Americans to hold these things in tension? Can be in a whole nother book, so we can. <laughs> we volume can, we three, can, here we come. Right now, right now, right now physiology <laughs> later this year. That's right. So I think um, for me, um, it's all about the word and. You know, we in the West um, tend to be very uh, linear and very, uh, you know, it's either or. You know, you can't have, you know, if it's true that there is injustice over here, then, uh, you know, then you know, it's just this, it's a continual dichotomy of issues. And God tells us it's and, yes, um, I can, it, it, yeah, it, forgive me, but it's not black or white, it's right. black and white. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. And it's not gray. Okay. Oh, that yeah, that's a helpful <laughs> distinction. Yeah. I, mean, I do. I mean, I, I okay. Let me back off that a little. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but it is black and white. Yes, and it's a and and there there are um there are places where we just have to hold both things. Um, you do this a lot in chaplaincy, right? I you know uh, people are um they want to have to feel one way or another about something that's happened. You know, why am I, ha- you know, uh, able to be happy in, in, on, on one hand when, you know, this great tragedy has occurred? Well, it's because as, as humans, we have conflicting and, and parallel emotions that happen. Um, and in parallel and conflicting um, uh, events that occur. And so we're constantly having to learn how to do and both and 
And it's just, it's, it's, it's partly skill. It's partly culture. It's partly, you know, how do we, um, how do we learn to give, that's, give grace to one another. Your reality is not, does not seem to be the same as what I experience. Well, can I hold a space that says maybe both are true? It's not, mm. it's not necessary that because your reality or what you're saying is not what I've experienced, that it's not true. Mm-hmm. It could be that both are true and we have to learn how to talk to yeah. each other. Right. Yeah, you're right. We we could do a whole Actually, other podcast. That's book four. Yeah, that's book four. Book I mean, four. and <laughs> and I love this. I love this conversation so much because I think that that revelation alone is the pathway to compassion. Yeah. is the pathway to empathy and is the pathway to healing and restoration. Is when we can begin to see in this kind of lens and realm, then I think actually that is what breaks down those barriers. Um, otherwise, mm-hmm. we're left to defend. Um, we're left to um, ignore. We're left to demonize, and it becomes a us versus them, and uh, and denial, straight up denial. So, um, th- this is just a wonderful conversation, Andrew. You, I think you had a question earlier that you wanted to, to oh, pop in there. No, 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 no. I was all like, I, you literally asked her the oh. question I was going to ask her. So I was like, yes, Matt, you are my hero. Um, I, Kathy, I will certainly say on this topic again. This is book number four coming out from Ephesiology in 2023. Um, but we as Christians, what, what it seems to be coming up is when left with, do I pick your reality is truth or my reality is truth? And we don't understand how to hold that and, uh, go pick up your copy of Hugh Halter's book and, um, but like, we don't know what we do. And so what we do is we jump to the shoulds. Well, Okay, I don't mm. think I, I feel real comfortable about my the things I think and what I feel and how I understand scripture. So that means you should fill in the blank, whatever the topic. And it just is so hard because then we constantly are trying to either prove ourselves or find ourselves approved by the other people that we think are on our team, which actually then keeps us from the action in the world that God is calling us to, right? Like, how have you seen, mm, this might get us all in trouble. How have you seen the church in America right now? Um, and I would say even almost tangibly, how have you seen us spend our time and spin our wheels and trying to prove ourselves to each other and not getting involved to stand against injustice wherever it is all around the world? Well, I think you just said it we're we're so consumed with what we're doing and the and the rhetoric and the i mean i think hmm. michael you want to talk a bit well i think because yeah. you know when i well about- <laughs> i mean that was one of the reasons why we wrote the first volume uh, it's subtitled what evangelicals need to know about the world because we're even back in 10 years ago 11 years ago uh, with all of the news that we see going on uh, and how easily accessible it, it was even back then, there was a lot that we didn't understand and we still don't understand. And so what we felt like we wanted to do was to help the evangelical church understand things that are going on around the world so that she could be better informed about how to engage it. And uh, and 
And I think that's still very much necessary because we, you know, we have blinders on, I, I think, in and this is natural. I mean, culturally speaking, we wear cultural blinders and we're not able to see around those so often. And so what we're trying to do is to remove the blinders, not to get everybody necessarily to believe like we believe, but to help everybody think and see and understand that the, the world is much bigger than our, you know, kind of three foot box, if you will. Um, and we need as Christians to think about how do we engage it? What does that look like? But first we have to understand the, the issues that are going on. And, uh, and so that's, I mean, those, that's the heart of both of these volumes is uh, to, to help people, you know, remove the blinders and to become more aware of the things that are going on around the world so that then we can take action and really be the people of God that he wants us to be and engage these issues of injustice. Each one of us as believers in Christ must, as a, as a part of our, the working out of our faith, be involved in some area of social justice work. So whatever that looks like, I mean, we, you know, and, and because that's part of our discipleship, that's part of our, our service to the world, you know, um, where are we involved as individuals and as churches in, um, in uh, working for the oppressed and the marginalized and the poor and the, you know, whether it's traffic, whatever the, the, the topic. And, one of the things about these volumes that I think is so profound is that these are just some of the many ways that the body of Christ around the world is engaged in doing the work of, of the kingdom of God, of going out and, 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 um, and sharing the love of Christ with these communities, these people, these individuals. And mm. And there are so many ways that we can engage. And so, yes, it's informative. It's incomplete because there are so many ways. Um, so the premise is we must be involved. We must, on a personal level, have some, some place where we know that God is calling us to serve. And if we don't know what that is, we should find out. And there's lots of places that need help. And, and we, can, you know, we, can, we can pray and work and think about that. The other piece is that um, some of us are called into lifelong um, areas of service in some of these very big areas. For example, May, um, May uh, Cannon, Cannon, who, who is um, she is a voice um, calling for um, uh, social justice in in the political arena. And, um, and we can learn so much from her and um, engaging in that, in that conversation. Um, Michaela and Brian's chapter on mental health issues to, to, um, to uh, learn from them and to consider in our churches, okay, mental health and in particular during COVID, I mean, you know, the, the, the skyrocketing need for churches to be 
um, have some degree of, of savvy in mental health issues. I mean, it's, it's, it's part of serving your congregations. It's part of being part of, uh, you know, the reality that is our world. Um, uh, the, the need, when I was reading Cromwell's chapter on, on water and education, um, it's heartbreaking because of the lack. It's inspiring because of what they're doing to meet that need. Mm-hmm. But the reality that so much of the world cannot do the things that God created them to do because they don't have clean water and therefore they have disease and therefore they don't have the energy to walk the however many miles it is Mm -hmm. to the nearest school and therefore they don't have education and therefore they don't have the opportunity to improve their lives in ways that they Mm -hmm. should because of the lack of clean water. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's those kinds of things that that these books, they raise different um, areas for us to educate ourselves about, for our hearts to be tender towards. And it's a lifelong process. I mean, God doesn't want us to like read the book and then be done, you know, okay, now I know that. He wants us to be continually learning, Mm -hmm. you know, and growing and and moving into places um, where we can encourage each other, you know, let's... (laughs) Into, yeah. these, into these areas of service. So, sorry, that was my... my uh, no, this is so day. great. <laughs> and just a, just as a reminder to our listeners, we're talking with Kathy Richards Batia. Uh, she and uh, Michael uh, have co-authored, or I should say general editors, uh, probably more formally, of a new title under the Ephesiology uh, Press um, book line. You can find it at ephesiology.com and, of course, also on Amazon, called Social Injustice, Volume 2, Kathy, we're really glad that you've been able to join us with this, and we've got some more time here to continue to talk about the book. I want to actually follow up on something you, you're already kind of talking about, and that is, and, and Andrew was kind of alluding to this as well, but the context of community seems to be so important when it comes to social justice issues. And, you know, as our culture um, has moved from a community-centric type of culture to a far more globalized, diverse culture, um, and, and, so, and even secular culture, um, you know, we have lost a lot of the community centers, church membership is in decline, public service memberships are pretty much in decline, although volunteerism is up, general membership and commitments to local clubs and organizations have gone down, um, and that including, most importantly, even just part of even the church. But there has been a rise in activism. So speak a little bit about maybe some of the the downfalls to a loss of community centers and a loss of the community um, organizations where memberships have declined, where we've seen this trend across the United States and across the West. How has that harmed the effort and the focus of of pursuing social justice? And then yet in some ways, maybe speak to some of the advantages to the new wave of activism that seems to kind of be taking a part of the new generation, especially as we see of millennial and Gen Z. Well, what a topic, Matt. Thanks for lobbing that out there. 
Uh, we have about 15 more minutes on this podcast. <laughs> uh, we can digest it as we're able to, but well, yeah. or, or, give it, or maybe if you want, even just kind of help. But well, why don't you t- take it as is? So we'll yeah, well, there. it's a complex <laughs> topic, isn't it? Because um, yeah, we see we are seeing declines in these things, institutions, as you enumerated. And uh, and one wonders if it's not because of a little dis- disillusionment with what the purpose of those institutions were um, and this rise of activism. You know, millennials, and this was going back. I mean, even when I was teaching at Trinity and uh, young people were coming up, there was a genuine interest that we wanted to change the world, but we didn't know exactly how to do it. And so it could be that an apathy occurred among that generation, but the generation that followed it said, you know what, we're going to do something here. If the institutions aren't going to step up and do something, then we're going to take action. And I think that that uh, sense of activism is what we see playing out uh, both on a political and a social level in the in the United States, at least uh, right now, and and to some degree in different parts of the world. I mean, one might think of the Arab Spring, um, where people just finally get fed up with the institution and say, hey, you know what, we're going to take these things into our own hands and, and really try to orchestrate, orchestrate change. And, and so that's, that's not a, a necessarily a, a bad thing. Um, it can create uh, vacuums, I think, in society where, you know, we don't know what to fill it with or we don't know where the activism should go. And but in other cases, it'll create uh, the new movements, new institutions, uh, new ways of of addressing uh, the various problems and issues. And and that's certainly what we've seen in the context of North America among uh, the, the racial issues and the tensions that we've mm-hmm. experienced here. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, in some ways it can be positive, in some ways it, it can be negative. I think where it becomes negative when we think of the evangelical church in particular is that um, there's not a voice any longer, uh, or at least a respected voice that, that can say, you know what, here is the heart of the Lord in how we should be engaging these topics. And instead, it's become very contentious uh, among evangelicals, and um, and we've become unfortunately comfortable with criticizing the way that one evangelical group might be addressing an issue compared to the way another evangelical group might be comparing an issue or or uh, addressing an issue. And so, one of the reasons why we wanted to write this volume was to have multiple voices from different parts of the world speak into multiple evangelical voices speak into the issue of justice. Because, I mean, honestly, if if there should be anything, well, I think there should be probably three things that should unite us as believers. One is that believers everywhere should unite on defending who we are as believers in the one true creator God. Uh, and secondly, th- we should all be united uh, about the need to proclaim the gospel around the world. And thirdly, we should all be united about the care for the marginalized in the world um, and addressing social issues. This, These should not be divisive issues whatsoever among the body of Christ. Uh, Christ wasn't divided on this these issues. 
And so we shouldn't be divided either. And yet we are. And uh, I, I think God's heart is broken uh, because of how divided we've become. Michael is incensed. Watch out. He's very, very excited. And I love it. It's so good. It might actually lead to him writing volume three of this book tonight. Himself. <laughs> I, I need a break uh, <laughs> yeah. to recover. He says that. He says that. He says that. Michael, Kathy, what are you thinking? Yeah, I I agree with you, Michael. Um, there are so many things running through my head right now. I will try to do them in some semblance of order. First of all, I'm the mom of um, five adult children um, who are very disappointed in the evangelical church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has not. They have seen some of the worst of it. And um, so I'm in conversation with them about these things on a regular basis. And it is heartbreaking because as a mother who loves her children and respects them um, and respects their perspective, I see their point. We have failed in many areas. And this, I think the, the, the place of social engagement is just... Is, is the critical one. We do proclaim the gospel. We do um, defend our faith. But how have we truly served um, in ways that have changed, truly changed the lives and the experiences of the marginalized and the oppressed um, those not empowered, those not privileged, <laughs> um, you know, how have we truly done that? And I, you know, I, I speak as a, as a Mish kid, as a, a, you know, a proud one, truly. I mean, you know, yeah, there were a lot of um, things that missionaries have gotten wrong over the years, but one of the things they did is they built hospitals and they built schools and they educated and poured out their lives um, for the good of the people that they were serving. And I think there is that general heart in, 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 in places, but we seem to have not been able to make the leap, make the shift, make the connection to the, (laughs) some of the deeper um, social issues of our day and of, of history, truly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like this is a new problem. Um, you know, the church, the, the 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 church in Germany, the the established church, did not speak out against um, what was happening all around them. Um, mm-hmm. It is a it is a problem for people who are in comfortable established positions to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I think we just don't know how, right? We don't know what we're doing. We know that we really don't have enough information. We don't get it. We don't understand the perspective of the, of the other. And so we have a lot of fear around it. But I, I just, um, I don't see how the, the, the original question was around the community, you know, and the, and the decline in community and the rise in activism. Well, uh, I, I think it's a natural progression when um, the injustices continue and there is no provision um, for that in our churches. It's not surprising that many 
have become disenchanted and said, mm-hmm. you know what, I don't see it. I don't see the connection between what's really happening in life and between um, what you're saying. Because if Jesus calls us to love and serve those who have not, and I don't see it in happening, and I'm not, you know, called and and even on some level made to understand my own responsibility in this, um, then, (laughs) you know, what about the rest of that? What about the proclamation Mm. of the gospel? What about the, you know, the, 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 uh, the defending of our faith, you know, how can we defend it? So I guess very long, very broad, lots of things out there. I, you know, uh, but I, I guess um, for me, the last two years have been about examining my own privilege truly Hmm. and i think i'm i am so aware of it in ways that i uh never was before and i guess that's that's a great place i think for all of us to start Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well kathy this has been such a wonderful conversation and just really grateful for you and michael's work on this on this new book and uh, we just want to recommend it to all of our listeners again the title is called Social Injustice, Volume 2. Uh, you can find it at aphesiology.com, uh, as well as you can also buy it on Amazon. Um, and we've been talking with Catherine, or Kathy. She's formerly Catherine on the title of the book, but Kathy so funny. Richards Batia. And then, of course, our very own uh, Michael Cooper and uh, Andrew and myself. Uh, Michael, any, any final words or Andrew from you? My final word is thank you. That's it. Uh, this has been a, a highly encouraging, challenging discussion. And um, with each and every author and chapter title that you guys or theme, I should say, that you brought up, I was like, I can't wait to read that. I can't wait to read that. Wow. I really want to read that. So I hope you, the listener, have felt the same as I am because we're kind of on the sidelines, uh, at least right now. I didn't help write this book. So I'm super excited to read it. And I hope that you, the listener, are as well. So thank you, Kathy. And thank you, Michael. It was a labor of love, wasn't it, Kathy? It was. It certainly was. <laughs> well, this is exciting. Um, you know, I think some would would advocate. I, I I just know that some would say that maybe the church has missed its boat and missed its opportunity to partake in these kind of conversations. But I would hope that um, people would hear uh, from this conversation and the work of Kathy and Michael and others and the many others who contributed to this incredible text that... Um, that actually uh, hope is not lost and that the church can still have a significant voice at the table as we, um, as we look back into our scriptures and back into our faith and see the work of Christ and what he has done and how he is changing us first and foremost to make uh, this world a better place uh, for others um, under the big banner of the kingdom of God. So um, those are the days and the things which we long for. So uh, thank you again, Kathy, uh, for joining us. We're so glad that you joined us here on the Physiology Podcast today. Thanks for having me. Of course, absolutely. Anytime. Come back again and see us, will you? Yeah, sure. <laughs> awesome. And thanks, and thanks again uh, to our listeners for doing theology and community with us here on the Physiology Podcast. And we are glad that you are part of this growing Ephesiology global community. Uh, you can, of course, learn more about Ephesiology, get access to resources like uh, Social Injustice Volume 2 uh, for you, your church, and your leadership teams at Ephesiology.com. For Michael, Andrew, K. 
Kathy. And myself. We'll talk again right here on the Physiology Podcast. <laughs>